Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I need to know exactly what you're looking for or we need to figure it out together. And then I'm going to start sending you deals and I need you to give me feedback. Yeah, Dan, I love that, but this wasn't right about it. So I can refine that search. We're going to keep doing that over and over again until we find you something that checks all the boxes. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Dan Lukowitz. Dan is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan. He is the senior director of Encore Real Estate Investment Services, where he assists investors all over the country in the purchase and sale of net leased assets. Dan's portfolio consists of a number of real estate loans. Dan is a returning guest on the Best Ever Show. We had an incredible episode. It's probably been a couple of years, but if you Google Joe Fairless and Dan Lukowitz, his episode will pop up. Dan, you ready to have some more fun? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. It's my pleasure. If you would, can you share a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now with the Best Ever listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I got my start in real estate back in 2005. I helped to start to form a barrier-free home modification company called Disability Made Easy, which is essentially a business that's designed to help people in terms of accessibility needs in their home. And uh, during that experience, I, I cite that as my intro to real estate because I'll never forget, Ash, I was with our project manager out at a site looking at a job and I got there with him and I looked around, I saw the house, I went inside, I saw the individual was in a wheelchair and I said to him, I said, we got to get out of here. I mean, there's nothing we can do. This house is totally functionally obsolete. And he didn't say anything. He took out his pad of graph paper and his pencil and in about 90 seconds, he sketched a brand new front elevation and a new layout to the property using some of the windows to be now exits and entrances to the house. And I was just blown away being able to see how you could take something, make some modifications to it and make it functionally fit the actual occupant. So from there, I went on to purchase homes. I purchased my first home during the Great Recession and I ended up buying a house directly from a bank, renovating the property with the help of some laborers and really just fell in love with that idea even further of buying something, renovating it and adding value. So I continue to flip houses. At this point, I probably flipped to over 100 houses. Usually it was as a side gig while I worked in corporate America at jobs like Amazon. 
I ran a sales department at a title insurance agency. Eventually I went into house flipping full time. And then eventually after that, I wound up in the wonderful world of net lease brokerage, which is where I am today. So I guess that brings me to the second part of your question, Ash. Today, I'm a net lease investment sales broker, which means that I help buyers and sellers all over the country transact specifically on single tenant net lease properties, as well as shopping centers. The elusive mailbox money. Is that what you're talking about? When you hear triple net, you hear mailbox money. Is That's that exactly it? it? Tell us more about that. And if you would demystify some of that for us as well. Everybody wants the triple net mailbox money. Yeah, they do. And for good reason. So in general, just to give a broad overview of what net lease is, I like to start by describing what it's not and comparing it to an asset class that many people are very familiar with, which is multifamily. So for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to talk about two properties. We'll talk about first a single tenant net leased Wendy's property. And the other one will be a small multifamily property. So in the Wendy's example, the franchisee is leasing the property from you. You own the property. You have one tenant and that tenant is paying you $125,000 in base rent. So your gross collected rent is $125,000. Now, on the other hand, you've got this small multifamily property. Let's say it's 10 units. Each unit is bringing in $12,500 a year. So you've got $125,000 of base rent of gross collected rent. So at the surface, they're exactly equal. They both have $125,000 of gross rent coming in every year. Now with the multifamily building, you've got all kinds of expenses. You've got property management, you've got capital expenditures, you might need a new roof, you might need to stripe the parking lot, you might need to repair the parking lot, you gotta shovel the snow, do the maintenance, cut the grass, you probably have a property manager. You've got some vacancy that you factor in there. You've got taxes. You've got insurance. At the end of the day, you may be looking at 50% of your expenses, which by the way are variable. They can go up or down. Gasoline can go up or down. Salt can go up or down. Your cost to plow can go up or down. Your cost for repairs can go up or down. For a new roof can go. They're really only going up, I should say. So these costs can go up. And at the end of the day, you might be left with 50% of that 125000 Now go back to the net lease property, that Wendy's. Well, guess what? The tenant, they pay your taxes on your building. They pay for your insurance. They pay for all common area maintenance. They pay for roof structure, parking lot, landscaping, everything. You have zero expenses. At the end of the day, your $125,000 of gross collected base rent is actually your net operating income because there's zero expenses. And further, Ash, in the lease, it's built in telling you exactly what those rental escalations are for the entire period of the firm term of the lease, as well as the options periods. So it's very secure. It's very predictable and reliable. You know what you're going to get. So in general, that's what net lease is. Now, what I described was the absolute triple net lease. That's the gold standard in net lease, because in that case, you've got an absolute triple net lease. So the tenant is paying, like I said, taxes and insurance. That's your first end. They're paying for all your common area maintenance, and they're paying for your roof structure and parking lot. We do also deal with what's called a double net lease, which is the same thing. However, the roof and structure, and in some cases, parking lot, are actually paid for by the landlord. But typically, most of our deals are absolute triple net. They're usually incredibly well located, very high traffic counts, good ingress and egress, great visibility, a lot of other major national retailers in the area. And they have inherent, fundamental, strong value and worth to the underlying real estate as well. Perfect. And you described that scenario that is, in fact, mailbox money. But you use some key words, absolute net lease 
zero landlord responsibilities. Now, Dan, a lot of times when you look at an offering memorandum, you look at a listing, if it doesn't have those words in there, it can be a myriad of different responsibilities. For example, you can have triple net where the tenant will pay the taxes, but year over year increases can only be 5% or they'll pay HVAC repair, but not replacement. So there's a lot of devil in the details. Is that right? Yeah. And it's really an issue of nomenclature. Unfortunately, more on the West coast of the country, we have brokers that are utilizing the term triple net and referring to what I would call a double net lease. That's why in order to get rid of this ambiguity, I don't say triple net. I say absolute triple net. So even if you're a West Coast broker who loves that jargon, you're going to understand he doesn't mean that there's responsibility for roof and structure. So it is very important to point out if it's an absolute triple net lease or not. And if it isn't, Ash, as you mentioned, a good broker is going to have to put in their offering memorandum specifically what types of expenses are going to be on the landlord. That should be in every offering memorandum. Why wouldn't everybody do net lease versus multifamily? When cap rates in multifamily were more attractive than net lease, that would have been the argument. Well, I want to get an 8 or 10% return. Well, guess what? Today, an 8 or 10% return in multifamily, that type of product is going to be a type of product that comes with a lot of its own problems. So from my perspective, the fact that net lease cap rates have in general eclipsed those and surpassed those of multifamily there's not a strong argument. And that's why we see so many people moving over from multifamily to net lease. And again, the other thing I mentioned in the beginning is that expenses are variable and that will hurt your bottom line if those expenses go up. With an absolute triple net lease, there are no expenses. You don't have to worry about that. So it's much easier to underwrite. So I guess the answer to your question really is, I don't see a reason. (laughs) (laughs) I have this argument so many times with my multifamily counterparts, and it's usually after a few drinks, and they have a valid point. If your tenant leaves, <laughs> you have no income. The worst thing that's going to happen to me is I'll have to reduce my rent to fill vacancies. Now, you mentioned net lease is very predictable. Dan, what happens if your tenant doesn't renew? How do you mitigate that risk ahead of time? Great question. Just to backtrack a little bit, I will say that one of the things that multifamily does have is a potential for forced appreciation. So buying an asset that maybe has some deferred maintenance, maybe has rents below market, putting in that maintenance, raising rents. Now you've got a lower cap rate and you've got a higher net operating income that equals higher value. There is an equivalent in my world, and that's in the shopping center space. Because in the shopping center space, you can also force appreciation by buying a property that has deferred maintenance, by raising rents, by increasing occupancy, by lowering cap rate, et cetera, et cetera, thus increasing values. That does definitely exist in our space as well. And then if you could reiterate a little bit again, what exactly you're asking as it pertains to the next question. Yes. What can you do to mitigate the risk of a tenant leaving ahead of time? Good question. So first and foremost, what you're going to want to do is keep in mind that by way of example, if you're driving down the highway and you see one Wendy's and then you drive 20 miles down the highway and see another Wendy's, you might think, oh, they're both Wendy's properties. They're exactly the same. Couldn't be further from the truth, right? One of them might have 20 years left on the lease. One of them might have three years left on the lease. One of them might be doing $2 million in sales. One of them might be doing $1.1 million in sales. One of them could be a two unit mom and pop operator. So if If both of those go out of business, you're out of luck. The other one could be a two or 300 unit operator. 
much greater likelihood that they're going to weather some issues at an individual location. So the first thing you can do to mitigate that risk, because it is a risk, is to underwrite your tenant and not just your tenant, but even more important, your guarantor. It's so important. You have to look at that lease, see who signed on that lease. Is it CVS Corporation or is it Metro Detroit CVS LLC? I see it all the time. Is it 5,000 units or is it five units? It's very, very important. So that's going to be the number one thing you can do. In addition to that, you want to make sure that you're buying real estate that has solid fundamentals, just like I touched on before. High traffic counts, high population density, easy ingress and egress, great visibility, high proximity to other national retailers. That's all very important. And then the third thing you can do, Ash, is make sure that you're buying a property that has below market rents. We're right now in a bit of a crisis in my world insofar as the pharmacy space is getting hammered because these are buildings that are oversized and they're paying oversized rent. And if they're paying $35 a foot, I can't backfill that space for more than 15, 18, $20 a foot. That landlord's in trouble. So the remedy to that, Ash, is to make sure that when you're buying a property that your rent is at or below market rent. It's a replaceable rent so that if they do leave, you have options that aren't going to leave you upside down. Dan, ideally buy a Chipotle, Starbucks, Walgreens, Wendy's with a fresh 10-year lease, but your returns are going to be minimal because you're buying a 10-year secure stream of income. What if you have two years left on the lease? Is there anything you can do as panic starts to set in? So you're talking about a situation where you own a property and now there's only two years left on the lease? Correct. We can do what's called a blend and extend, which is merely it's me as the guy with the house renovation background. I like to take a house, renovate the house, put in this time, this money, this labor, this effort, this energy, a little bit of risk or a lot of risk, and now create this equity out of nowhere, this forced appreciation. Well, we can do something similar in net lease through the blend and extend technique, which is really just a renovation, so to speak, of the lease. So what you would do is you would approach the tenant and have a conversation saying, I want a new 10, 15, 20 year lease, whatever it is you desire. The tenant might say, okay, we're willing to commit to that early, but we want a reduction in rent. And I know as an investor, a lot of people might say, well, why would I want to reduce the rent? That's my lifeblood. I don't want to reduce that. So I always bring up the same example. This is a deal from a couple of years ago. So cap rates aren't really relevant for today, but I was working with a client on a Walgreens that they had built in Ohio. And at the time, the property only had about 12 or 14 months left on the lease. So because of that, the cap rate was about a nine cap because a lot of risk there. We don't know if they're leaving. We don't know if they're staying. Now at the time they were paying at this location, they did a reduction. So they were paying $290,000 in rent and they had about 14 months left on their lease, about a nine cap. So at the time the property was worth 3.222 million. So my client said, Hey Dan, let's list this property. Let's sell it. I said, no way, we're not going to do that. I don't want to leave money on the table for you. I want you to go to Walgreens and I want you to do a blend and extend. I want you to ask them for a fresh 10-year lease. And I said, and, and by the way, they're going to come back at you and they're going to tell you they want to reduce the rent. So he goes to Walgreens, says, I want to do a 10-year lease. They said, that's fine, but we need to drop the rent $65,000 to $225,000. So he came to me, he said, Dan, that's crazy. I would never do it. I said, no, that's not crazy. You should do it eight days a week and I'll explain to you why. So... At $225,000, so a $65,000 reduction in rent, but now a new 10-year lease at the time was trading at a 585 cap, which, believe it or not, puts us at a value of $3,846,000 in change, which is about 
620 some thousand dollars in appreciation just from, so to speak, rehabbing the lease. So the answer to your question is these short-term leases, there's opportunity because especially if you're buying a short-term lease, you can buy it at a higher cap rate, do the blend and extend, reduce the rent, and now have a much lower cap rate. And as you saw in this example, increase your property's value by roughly 20%. That's a great example. Now let's take the flip side of that. $3.8 million at a 5.8 cap. If they did not do the blend and extend and they had roughly a year left on that lease, what would that trade at? A seven, seven and a half cap? That was more of a nine cap deal. So that'd be like we said, 3.22 million. So essentially they unlocked $600,000 of equity of value just by following my advice and doing a blend and extend with Walgreens. Now, let's say this person did not take your advice. They just held on to the property. Yeah, I'm sure Walgreens is going to renew. When it comes down to the wire and that renewal period is in front of you, how bad do they negotiate? Do they know how valuable that 10-year lease is to the landlord? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. They know it. And we're seeing it today. I have clients that are having requests of 50% rental reductions today from non-Rite Aid pharmacy tenants. But what I will tell you is one of the things that my client escaped is what we call this dreaded five-year renewal cycle, because it depends on the lease. And some Walgreens leases are even worse. They're actually 51-year renewals. So you never get out of the one-year renewal. That's even worse. But here in this five-year renewal cycle, let's say he did nothing. Walgreens came. Maybe they asked for rent reduction. Maybe they didn't. The most they're giving him is that five-year renewal. And now the property has the lowest cap rate possible relative to the market. And then guess what? As it keeps going down, down, down in, in terms of duration left on the lease, cap rate goes up and then up time for renewal, five-year max. So we avoided that by going straight to 10 years and giving an actual premium on that cap rate and keeping my client out of that dreaded five-year renewal cycle, or even worse would be a one-year renewal cycle. Yeah, because the worst thing that can happen is your $3.8 million property if that national tenant leaves, it's worth half a million. It really depends on the actual fundamentals of the real estate, where it is. I've got a major national early childhood development client, and they have a, a group of developers that we work with. We're currently going under contract with vacant pharmacies, typically in the sub two, two and a half million dollar space. So there are tenants out there or developers out there that will pay maybe $2 million for 15,000 square foot building. Typically, I've sold them as low as $800,000. They could go all the way up to two, two and a half million. But the majority of your vacant pharmacies are going to be trade between a million and two million bucks. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with security laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in security offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. SyndicationAttorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit SyndicationAttorneys.com today to get started. And this offer is not available to Florida residents. What metrics do you have to gauge the health of that tenant? A lot of them are not going to share sales revenue with you. 
but you can find out using some tools out there, amount of foot traffic that goes into that store. What other metrics can you use to find out if that tenant is healthy and if they're likely to renew? Yeah, great question. So we're really looking at this from two different perspectives. We're looking at tenant health, like who is that guarantor on the lease and how healthy are they as an actual corporation? We're also looking at unit level health. How well is this particular site doing? So I sell a lot of QSR, quick service restaurant, fast food, if you will. And in many leases, there is actually a requirement that the tenant provides financials to the landlord, either when requested or once a year. So we can really get a good idea as to how this actual site is doing based on their sales volume and where they fall relative to other units within the same chain. That's number one. Equally as important is how are they doing relative to the other fast food in that immediate corridor? So that's going to really help us there. Another thing I recommend to my clients is anytime you're in negotiation with a tenant, let's say Walgreens said, hey, Ash, we know you own this building. We'll do a five-year extension and we'll stay, but you need to reduce the rent by five, 10%, whatever it is. Don't ever give in without asking for something in return. So one of the things I tell my clients to ask for is mandatory annual sales reporting. Say, okay, Walgreens, I'll give you your five, 10% rent reduction, but we need to put a clause in this amendment that says that at any time or once a year, you're going to provide me with financials. So that's one aspect of it. So you want to know how that unit is doing, look at their sales, see their sales relative to other competition in the area. Very important is what's called the rent to sales ratio. See how much they're paying in rent, see what their sales are. Each segment has a different break point that shows us whether or not that site is healthy. In addition, we have different types of software like placer.ai that will show us how many visits they're doing, how they compare it to other retailers in the area, et cetera, et cetera. And then as it pertains to the actual entity that's on the lease, in some cases we can find financials. Some of these are publicly traded companies that financials are available. Some of them are not, and we can request them from ownership or from the corporation itself. But you really want to know how many units are behind that guarantee and how well is that company doing. And you really can't go too far in terms of your underwriting there because the worst thing that could happen is that an entity goes bankrupt and now you have no lease and you just have an empty building. So we really want to avoid that on the front end by doing all these different forms of due diligence. Dan, you mentioned forced appreciation earlier. Why not do more strip malls that have vacancies and below market rents and a mixture of mom and pop tenants and national tenants where you can add a tremendous amount of value? Oh yeah. That's one of my specializations is shopping centers. I love them. I think today they've become even more popular. One of the main reasons is because typical cap rate of a shopping center is still above what a typical rate will be for commercial real estate financing, which can't be said for the majority of other types of asset classes within that lease. So that's definitely a big perk. I have clients, I haven't done the actual work with them, but I've been in communication with them during the entire process where they did just that, deployed capital expenditures, making the center better, raising rents. Another big one that I recommend is converting leases from gross leases to triple net leases. What I mean by that is many shopping center leases, especially if it's like a mom and pop owner, they're more of a modified gross lease that just says tenant X is going to pay you, we'll make up a number of $50,000 a year for rent. They're not paying anything towards the parking lot, the roof, the structure, the maintenance, the taxes, the insurance. It's gross. If those expenses go up, it's on you. So very similar to the multifamily, which we want to get away from, right? We don't like variable expenses. We want fixed expenses. So one of the things I advise my clients is whenever you're renegotiating or negotiating a lease, make sure you negotiate 
a triple net lease or a lease with what's called base rent and then cam charges, common area maintenance charges. One of my favorite leases is a type that says your base rent is $15 a foot. And you're also going to pay, and I'm making up a number because I don't know what market we're talking about, $4.25 per foot for cam charges. However, at the end of the year, if the actual amount goes up, you are now expected to have your cam charges go up in the next year. So what happens is the landlord will pay for things like snow plowing and management and taxes and insurance, but they will be billing the pro rata share to each tenant where if it's done properly at the end of the year, you have what we call zero leakage, which means that you have zero expenses. It's all going back to the tenant. That's another way to add a tremendous amount of value and to really, really capitalize and push your NOI, your net operating income as high as possible. So I think it's a great strategy. If I was more of an active investor and less of a broker, I'd probably be pursuing that, especially right now. I think there's tremendous opportunity and a lot of people that are doing a great job at it. You've got so much knowledge in this field. Are you not an active investor? I'm not in a boots on the ground out there painting a building and getting a tenant and getting a lease signed. Because I know as much as I love that, what I learned many years ago was that I suffer from shiny object syndrome. And if I engage and I let my shiny object syndrome run me, I'm not going to be successful. So I focus exclusively on brokerage. I do invest, but my investment is 100% passive for the most part. For example, I invest in joint ventures through my retirement accounts. I'm self-employed, so I have a SEP IRA. So I invest in those in terms of like lending to operators who need capital short-term at relatively high interest rates. I still do occasionally flip houses, but it's got to really be a great deal. I found that my biggest ROI is sitting in my seat as a broker, brokering deals, and then putting my money to work in a passive way. Dan, a lot of our listeners are passive investors. If they come to you and they want to take down one of those mailbox money assets, What does that process look like and what are their returns? It really depends on what exactly they're looking for. And that's something that we can figure out together. If they're looking for an absolute triple net single tenant deal, it would depend. If they're looking in the quick service restaurant space, you're looking at roughly five to six and a half percent. You can get higher returns, but there's going to be typically problems. If they're a shopping center investor, if they're looking for a class trophy real estate, you could be in the high fives, low sixes, but most shopping centers that I deal with are trading today anywhere between a seven and a 10 cap. In terms of the process, essentially, I just need to know, number one, who you are and that you're serious, right? That if we find what you're looking for, you're going to pull the trigger because that's very important. Most of my work is as a listing broker. I do have clients that I've developed a relationship with. I help them buy property, but it's because I know they're serious and that we respect each other's time. But the process is basically going to be either I need to know exactly what you're looking for or we need to figure it out together. And then I'm going to start sending you deals and I need you to give me feedback. Yeah, Dan, I love that, but this wasn't right about it. So I can refine that search. And we're going to keep doing that over and over again until we find you something that checks all the boxes. Very important what you said. Do not treat brokers like commodities. And lenders the same way. These are not commodities. These are partners. So anytime a broker sends you a deal, give them feedback, especially if you engage that broker asking for help. You need that feedback so you can refine what they're sending you and find a win-win relationship. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Dan, if we have a multifamily investor that wants to get into retail, what does that process look like? And are you the right person to go to? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, I'm constantly dealing with individuals who are trading out of 
multifamily and doing 1031s into shopping centers or net lease. It's, it's very, very common. So they should absolutely reach out to me and the process would look like any other process, just depending on how much they know and their familiarity, there may be more or less tweaking and showing deals to come up with a better understanding of what exactly it is they're looking for so that they can find that proper property. But what I would say is that, especially in a market like this, engage someone like me early. Let's start looking at deals early. The last thing you want to do is be up against a 1031 deadline and have to start identifying properties just sporadically or here or there without having enough time. So definitely important to engage someone like me early so that you can have what you need before you really need it. Now more than ever, I think people are interested in non-residential commercial real estate and all the years of going to the best ever conference, because I do a lot of retail, office, industrial, I was like the black sheep, right? Nobody wanted to talk to me because I wasn't a multifamily investor. And this last year, it was very different. A lot of people were interested in learning more about retail. And in these conversations, they often ended with, I just don't know anything about retail. I would love to get into retail. It's too hard. I don't know anything about it. What do you say to those individuals? I say that there's a lot of great content out there. I'm active on LinkedIn. I put out content every single day. There's a lot of people like me. I would go on places like LinkedIn, follow thought leaders, learn from them, read as many articles as you can. I love retail. I know that retail is alive and well. And despite a pretty tumultuous four years or so that we've had in this country and worldwide, retail has held up very, very strong, which is a testament to the fact that this is an asset class that's going to be here to stay. So long as a guy like you and a guy like me has a dollar in our pocket, we're going to be spending it. And retail is that avenue. So I would definitely reach out to people like me to connect. There's a lot of people that are willing to lend a hand or share information. And then the same thing I tell everyone is, is start looking at as many deals as you can. I always give the analogy of when I want to buy a house for my family, the first house I go to, I'm like gung-ho, let's make an offer. I love it. This is amazing. Love everything about it. And then I stop and say, wait, let me look at another house. I go to another house and say, oh, this one's got a finished basement with a kitchen in it. Oh, this one's got an attached garage. Oh, this one's got a third story. All these different things. The more you look at, the more you learn. And you can't be an informed consumer without educating yourself. And really the best way to do that is to underwrite deals. Look at 10, 100, 1,000 deals. That's how you'll become an expert. And that's how you'll know when that one deal hits you, you'll know that's the deal. Develop that muscle memory. Yep. Absolutely. Dan, what's the biggest mistake that investors make when buying retail properties? I think that one of the biggest mistakes they make is the assumption that corporations last forever. Buying a property and saying, oh, this is mailbox money. I don't have to ever do anything about it. They'll be around forever. And then 10 years later, they file for bankruptcy. I think on the other side of the spectrum, mistake that investors make is that analysis paralysis. They look at too many things without actually ever pulling the trigger. I think that's a big mistake. And then another thing, this is kind of a more specific nuance, is we've talked about absolute triple net and zero landlord responsibilities. I sold a CBS property in the last year that was absolute triple net. A lot of them are double net. This was absolute triple net. Local owner, local property, and owner hadn't gone to the property 20 plus years. 20 plus years, even though it was local. And when we got into due diligence, the buyer got an inspector, which he very well should have. And they found $275,000 of deferred maintenance. Now we were in due diligence. CVS was likely not going to stay at this location. Everyone knew that. And the investor had to suck it up and do a price reduction. So what I recommend, the remedy to that is spend the five or $700 every few years 
and get a property condition assessment. Have an inspector go out there. If you need somebody, I'll give you a very reputable company. Have them go out there and give you a property condition assessment that you can then look at. As I saw at the property, the parking lot was in terrible shape. The roof was in terrible shape. The side of the building was in terrible shape. So a simple letter to the tenant saying per section 3.1 of the lease, you are in default. Please remedy these issues in the next 30 days. That would have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in this transaction. So I say, even if it's absolute triple net, even if you want to be sitting on a beach, sipping your pina colada while you're collecting rent, God bless you, more power to you. But still get somebody out there, spend a few hundred bucks every few years just to understand where the property's at so that you can keep the tenant responsible for what the tenant is supposed to be responsible for. Dan, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? It's like anything. It's so simple that I even hesitate to say it, but you have to build that muscle memory. You have to underwrite as many deals as you can. Get in groups of other people that are underwriting the same deals and bounce ideas off of each other. Become an underwriting expert. You can't exercise that muscle enough. I can't tell you when I first got in the business versus today, my ability to in 15 seconds underwrite a deal, not to fulfillment, but underwrite a deal saying, yeah, this is one I want to look at further versus this is one that's going in the trash. It's night and day. And that's only because I'm doing this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over and over and over again. So my best investing advice is to have that balance. Underwrite a thousand deals, but pull the trigger on the right one. You have to be able to do both. Great advice. Dan, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Yes, absolutely. All right, Dan, what's the best ever book you recently read? It's a toss up. It would be definitely a toss up between Think and Grow Rich, which is obviously a classic, as well as Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Dan, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I like to give back through education and teaching. I really love helping people. I have a lot of people that reach out that want to talk about real estate. They want to get into real estate. I've got a Zoom call coming up here in a little bit with an individual that wants to get in the industry and doesn't really know where to go. So I love giving back by training and educating and helping people to further their life and take the steps that I know will help them to be the best that they can be. And Dan, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? First of all, I'm on LinkedIn. Like I said, tons of content I put out. So please follow me on LinkedIn. First name is Dan, last name Lukowitz, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Again, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Send me a message. Tell me that you heard me on the best ever podcast. Additionally, you can reach out to me directly. If you have a property, you want to know what it's worth, you want to sell it. If you want to talk commercial real estate, if you're trying to get into the industry, anything related to real estate or life, business, any way I can help, I'm happy to. My direct cell phone number is 248-943-2838. Again, 248-943-2838. Please reach out. It would definitely be my pleasure to be in touch. Dan, you are an amazing individual. Glad to call you a friend. And thank you again for coming back on the show and just sharing great advice with us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. Great to see you. And best ever listeners, Dan is indeed a go-giver. So if you have questions on retail, commercial real estate, please reach out to him. And best ever listeners, thank you as well for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access 
and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.